0: Hello and welcome to the Max Moo Theater and Performance Podcast. This is Lindsay Behrens. On today's episode, we check in on the state of comedy performance in New York City. But before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we are gathering for the Classical Theater of Harlem's Macbeth this coming Saturday, July 23rd. The show starts at 8 p.m. at Richard Rogers Amphitheater in Marcus Garvey Park. We're gathering before the show for a pre-show potluck with the Classical Theater of Harlem starting at 5 p.m., but show up whenever you like, bring a snack, bring a blanket, and say hi. The show is free, and there are no advance tickets required. We'll see you there. Okay, let's start. Okay. Okay. We're here to talk about comedy. Mm. We do not promise that it will be funny. (laughs) No, never promise
1: that. (laughs) Then they can only be pleasantly surprised.
2: Yeah. If it turns out we are capable of cracking a joke or two. No more or less funny than regular Maximum episodes. Let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, let's start with
1: introductions. Elise. Hi. My name is Elise Jikkowski. I write about comedy for the New York Times and The Guardian and other places.
2: Awesome. Liz? And I'm Liz. I also known as Fuck Yeah Great Plays. And I'm Lindsay the
0: host. So we have been perusing the comedy scene in New York City over the past week or two. Seen some good shows, seen some weird stuff. Let's start with the cast. Uh, so I just
1: wrote an article about the cast last month, or yeah, last month it came out in the New York Times. Uh, the cast is a, an improv group at the Magnet Theater in New York. It's every Saturday night they do a different, an improv show in a different theatrical style, and theatrical is a very loose term. They, they say genre, but it in, can include film and TV and dance and kind of all sorts of in-between production-y. Like I went to a um, motivational seminar that they did, like an improv show in the style of a motivational seminar. So it's very... Uh, s- well, every show is a totally different experience. So the one... The show that I wrote about for the New York Times was a Game of Thrones episode, and that was a very, uh, you know, they did a lot of research, and they, they played to the, the Game of Thrones audience, but then I've also seen them do, what did they see? Oh, they did like a Chekhov one, so that's a little more the, the ambiance, but they're not necessarily hitting all the beats that, you know, because I don't think they're expecting everyone in the audience to be fully versed in Chekhov, so it was like a little, yeah, uh, and neither am I. So what do I know? Maybe it was perfect. <laughs> um, so you guys saw because I can I've seen a bunch of shows, but you what was the first one you guys saw? We
2: saw the '90s sitcom. Oh yes, uh, I have to say episode, but the '90s sitcom show. And then last night we all went and saw the Sleep No More yeah show, which was called something like Rest But Little. Yeah, there we go. Rest <laughs> But Little. Part of what I appealed to me about it, so they cut the through line of the story of the Chekhov or the mm. sitcom or with backstage yes scenes, which I think were my favorite part of the episode that we went the nineties sitcom episode that we saw. Because you get to see how the backstage relationships are coloring what you're seeing, quote unquote, on stage, on screen. And it just it added so much as the show progressed that it was a lot of like when we saw it the we found out in the first backstage scene that it was one of the lead guys last performances. His his character being written out of the show. And then we saw them like practicing a fight sequence that was gonna happen mm-hmm. sometime later. And so to watch those drop in and it really progressed in great ways, the way they let that seep in. I thought they were super funny.
0: I really enjoyed the 90s sitcom episode that we saw. I thought they had great chemistry. They're super charming, um, very funny, and I just really enjoyed it. The show we saw last night was very different. Um, It was... If you've ever seen Sleep No More, you know it's a show where the audience members all wear masks, which we did, and you also know that you're not seated throughout; you're wandering around, which we were wandering around. Magnet's little theater, plus the sort of elevator bank, plus outdoors, um, which was neat because I have never, I've never been backstage at a sketch improv theater, and I didn't realize it's really just. Tiny little room back then. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's just a four-foot hallway, um, but it was silent for the most part. It was mm-hmm. really more movement-based acting. There was a, a, a little bit of speaking, and then there was also backstage at this where they did drop out of their onstage character and engage in improv with words <laughs> behind the scenes. Yes, yeah, did I, did I, you guys catch that going on? I caught one time. Yes, yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure last night was totally successful in terms of uh, comedy experience, but I was impressed by the endeavor, and um, I thought that they pulled off uh, a fairly entertaining night of
2: wackiness. I don't,
0: I just, it just wasn't funny. I I, mean, I rarely yeah. laughed.
2: Yeah, I feel like the sleep no more sort of. Dare I say, self-important immersive show, is pretty ripe for parody at this point. I think we all know the tropes of it: the one-on-ones, the very dramatic movement acting, and did lots of you racing did a away. One-on-one
0: last night. No, I no. saw some people pulled
1: into the elevator, but I didn't. Oh, oh. I, interesting. I
0: saw some people pulled under, like.
2: A set of stairs in the entryway, and then I (laughs) like slowly backed
0: away. Like I want none of that. Okay, that's
2: so funny because I didn't see any of those happen, and I thought, "Where are these one-on-ones? Because they must be happening." Like that's like such a big part of these. Mm. But the total lack of dialogue threw me because they do talk in those shows.
1: We should say they were doing Romeo and Juliet, which I think was an interesting choice. Like I understand wanting to do a Shakespeare, but I think you could have done Midsummer Night's Dream or something. And there's something that's inherently a comedy or has more comedic elements to it mm-hmm. i don't know maybe they were trying to go for so over the top dramatic that it would circle back and be funny again but you end up with like an odd blend well and they-
0: i thought the reason they picked that is just because it's so well known that yeah. even yeah. the least familiar the person least familiar with shakespeare would see a f- recognize a few beats in the story but you're right There were individuals in the cast who I couldn't tell if they were just
2: being dramatic or if they were not having any fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they also took a suggestion from the audience for a a type of event to sort of bring the show in, and someone yelled out, funeral, which I think also brought the mood down (laughs) so low and so dramatic. But I loved the backstage experience that I got. I followed um, the actor playing Romeo backstage and she was having a fit because she had come over with this production from London and nobody was cooperating. They weren't doing it the same way that she was used to. (laughs) And it was this whole thing. And she's like, I'm just going to drink. I'm just going to drink the rest of the show. And so once I saw that, I enjoyed it a little more now (laughs) that I felt like I had this secret. I knew what was going on, but that happened really late. And I wish I'd gotten some of that earlier. Why do you think they did it without dialogue? I wondered that too, because that's not, it's not the genre, really. Do
0: you think they were just intimidated by trying to speak in iambic pentameter? So they're like, let's just screw it. Let's just not do that? They've done a Shakespeare,
1: like an improvised Shakespeare oh, okay. episode. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it has more to do with, I mean, if they're not in communication with each other and they're improvising, are they, like, are you going to say, are you going to be in the wrong... Uh, are you going to be setting things up that are never going to be because the other person, the other character isn't physically there. So they don't know what you're saying. Like that's the problem with doing improv when you're not all in the same place is that you don't. So I wondered if it was just like, well, if we can see each other and we know based on time, sort of where we should be in the play for not speaking, maybe it's easier. Also, they didn't, they picked up badges when they got on stage. Mm -hmm, So they didn't know what character they were going to be playing until they started. So maybe it was just a way of sort of, avoiding having to i don't know i I did think it was an interesting choice and i'm not sure i loved it
2: yeah i kind of thought you could memorize some bulk shakespeare passages because also a lot of those shows like mean sleep no more included are sort of pastiche of a bunch of different genres you could just memorize i don't care, a monologue from jaws and just throw that out there at some point and dance yourself away um and fold in text that way maybe that's i don't know i'm not going to tell them how to do their job right they're better improvisers than I am
0: I think we're focusing on that show because we saw it so recently just last night but but I want to go back to the 90s sitcom that we saw because it was so funny they did such a great job and as folks I think who are frequent listeners of the podcast know like improv makes me really uncomfortable I have a lot of anxiety watching people who I think might Uh, not be doing it well on stage but these guys were great they put you immediately at ease they were very confident I had you know from I mean up to like the suggestion moments which I always hate but then right after that they just put everyone at ease and they carried the performance off really well and it was there were tons of laugh lines and there were people who in the cast who were throwing in these like little bits of 90s pop culture that I thought were so funny like they clearly to, do. to set the year they
2: were throw they threw in the Jumbenet Ramsey mm-hmm. case the beginnings of it
0: <laughs> and they they the person who is you know quote-unquote leaving this was their last episode was going to some crazy new show called Friends you know and I just think I credit them a lot for clearly doing a significant amount of research prior to each one of these shows to make sure that they are in the sort of genre that they've chosen for the week. And they do this every week. I, yeah. I, I liked it a lot. I thought they did a great job.
2: I also want to give a, a big round of applause to the person who runs their sound and lights. Cause for both performances, they did mm. a really great job with the 90s sitcom. They had all those, you know, the entrance applause, the hooting from the audience you know, all these like, goofy sound effects and dramatic music that they would drop in
0: yeah they had like a live studio audience yeah. laugh track which maybe
2: got a little overused but was a pretty good effect it was great and then <laughs> last night there was lots of dramatic classical music there was chimes there was big dramatic light shifts so you know they did they're doing a really good because imp- being a light and soundboard operator for an improvised show is very difficult i've done it a handful of times and it's hard and I can only imagine for something like this it's like next level because you have to really be part of that game uh they did a great job
1: yeah they're incredibly the preparation that they put into it is really interesting because they Hannah Chase is the director and she does an unbelievable amount of work and she comes in with just like stacks and stacks of notes and we're gonna do this and let's watch this and sends them all links to read like they watched a bunch of recaps for Game of Thrones and stuff and I went in once when they were rehearsing they do a rehearsal every week they were gonna do a Jane Austen up uh edition and they were practicing like a classical dance you know like the kind of thing you'd see in a Jane Austen and like how they were gonna and they weren't gonna do exactly that on stage but they were like okay so if one of us does this then we know this and we can make sure that we should swap partners at some point and that kind of stuff so that they know that eventually they're gonna get to that in the show and it's gonna look good but it's not gonna be planned it's not written right, it's yeah. just like they have all
2: those tools they, ready have to the, go. they have the vocabulary yeah down for each episode I would say Reach cool. Sure.
0: Well, we'll link to Elise's article so you can yeah. read more about it. And that's every Saturday at 1030 at the Magnet And Theater. their next Saturday yes.
2: one is Law & Order SVU. Oh, I just, right. I'm yeah. so excited. Me I too. want to go see that one, too. <laughs> cool. Let's move along. Yeah. So we went to the Muslim Funny Fest, which this was its second year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is already closed, unfortunately. And we went the first night, the first show, which was called America's Least Wanted. They brought in not only Muslim American comics, but I think two of them were from Canada. And they said at the beginning this was the PG-13 night, which maybe is questionable later on with some of our, our comics that we saw. Um, and it was hosted by Rama Youssef, who I was thinking about yesterday, and I thought he's just this, like, Disney character like he's this disney kids tv show character Mm. lo and behold he's done two nickelodeon movies so (laughs) i wasn't too far off very charming great host um yeah and he was so then we had a whole bunch of other comedians who fell into there was it was a little difficult to find and so on that respect i thought maybe it wasn't going to be crowded no it it was very full it was on the fourth floor at NYU over by the Skirball Center. What is it? The, the Kimmel? The Kimmel's, the yeah, Kimmel the Kimmel Building. Auditorium. It was on the fourth floor there. And, and I, I,
1: having spoken to the organizers in the past, they make a point every year, because the other two shows were at a comedy club. They make a point of doing one not at a comedy club, at a venue that doesn't serve any alcohol, so that if there are devout Muslims who don't feel comfortable in that kind of situation, they can come to one of the shows and feel and that's why it's supposed to be the PG-13 show yeah. because it's supposed to be sort of slightly more
2: family-friendly. Yeah, and there are people there with kids. I mean, I mm. saw no, nobody too young. I think maybe like teenagers, you know, lots of college kids and their parents, too. So, yeah, so I mean, I'd say with the current political climate, which we don't have to go into, it's uh, pretty appropriate that we're doing this festival of Muslim comedians, which maybe is a genre you're not familiar with. I knew maybe one or two, um, but It was great. I had a lot of fun. I think it's very appropriate. I think it was coming off of a very rough week in America. And I can only imagine the way that sort of anger and frustration can fuel comedy. I mean, I've seen it. You've you've seen it a thousand times. And you could tell that that was the underlying current of all of these jokes, some comedians handled it, could channel it into a joke. Some of them, it just became sort of rage and spitfire on stage, which was a little tough to watch when you think you're going to go see some stand-up. Mm. I mean, I, I knew going into this, there was no way that this couldn't be political. And I think 90% of it did a really nice job. But then there were some where I went, oh gosh, oh, you're not, you're not joking. You're just mad as hell. And I don't blame you, but maybe this is not the the venue. I, don't yeah.
1: know. I mean, I agree. When the host, Rami, he was kind of what I envisioned the show was going to be. Like, when he started, I was like, this is exactly what I pictured for this kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, jokes about being Muslim, but very, like relatively gentle the kind of thing anyone could appreciate but if you were muslim you clearly could appreciate a little bit more like it was he was so charming and sweet and fun and then um yeah then we had a couple uh, of
2: yeah we got Faisan hussein uh came on and he starts off he just goes i i was gonna do muslim jokes i was ready to do this but now i'm really angry and then it just became sort of a political diet was he the first comedian, or is he the second comedian? He was. Uh, he was the f- first one. He was the one who kept saying, "I'm here to make you uncomfortable." Which, yeah, okay. I
1: mean, they've now that it's been a week or so, they've all sort of blurred together. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were. Um, the, yeah, there was, uh, who was the one? The the one that maybe it's that maybe it's Faison, the guy with uh, who's, who's has had a really long set, kind of in the middle. A um, joke light, because I, I looked him up later and he had.
2: Was that Asar Osman, who was who did the buckets? Who talks about the buckets for different races? Yes, yeah. He was because
1: I guess he's technically a storyteller, and yeah. I was like, okay, now I have a slightly more of an appreciation for what you were going for because it was not there just were not enough punchlines for me to be on board with what he was doing for a lot mm-hmm. of it. And I didn't feel like the things he was. I didn't think he was as smart as he thought he was. And it was like, well, you have to either be super smart or super funny in my opinion to pull this off. And I don't think, mm-hmm. you're, I think you're not quite enough of either one for me to be really invested in what you're doing.
0: Oh, interesting. I really liked it. Yeah, set. I did
1: too. Actually.
0: I really was, um, his is probably my favorite set of the, of the night. I, I thought he to... did an pretty amazing job of mixing the political with humor in a way that
2: I don't know that I've ever really seen done. Yeah I mean I loved his because he opened his set and he was saying stop talking about we got to stop talking about how angry Muslims are and then I feel like he had the opposite of the guy before him where he they were both so full of rage and who can blame them and they channeled it very different ways. And I thought Asar Osman, his, his whole bit about being profiled by ISIS when he was in Jordan was great. That was a I great bit. I loved that story. Yeah. It was so good.
1: But that was the only part of it that I came away with. Like, that part you should keep and the rest of it you need to like, you need to take that other 25 minutes and make it six minutes. And then you've yeah. got great six minutes, but there's a lot of, I felt there was a lot to lose, but, yeah. but ended so strong on that, mm-hmm.
2: that joke. Yeah. We also got uh, Sabine Sadiq who was the feminist makeup artist. Yes. Yes. Who I liked with her. And she told the whole story about her brother. And then Omar Regan, who was another person with a very different style. He was talking about all the different meanings for Haram. And he he just had this very infectious joy Mm. for everyone who was there. And you could tell he was so excited to be there. And I can only imagine being a Muslim comedian performing for a Muslim audience and like sharing those that jokes because I mean we we as as white women could laugh along with a lot of it but there were whole chunks where I went I'm this is not a joke for me I don't get it everyone else loves it so he must be doing a great job but you know there's that little distance so I'm sure it's it's a nice relief to have people who have all get all your jokes
1: he was, he was the one that was very bubbly, if mm-hmm. I remember it. Right. And I just remember thinking, like, the oh, end. he should just... Why isn't this guy on Jimmy Fallon every night? Like, yeah, he's just yeah. that kind of person that you could see is going to have, like, a regular... Like, every week on The Tonight Show, I'm going to talk about being Muslim in America and I'm going to talk to different people. And he just... He had that, like, every... You could... You can't imagine anyone not liking him. Yeah,
2: and the whole... I mean, a running part of his set was... That's what makes you special. Like, mm. you know what makes this group of people special is this. And you guys do this. And, and it would be funny. And then you'd be like, but that's what makes you you so great. Mm. And then this other group. And here's why you guys are so great. And it was just, I, I don't know, it was very happy. It was very fun. And then it closed out with uh, Mo Amer, mm. Amer, Um, The one who smuggled back olive juice <laughs> he, I uh, thought this, that to was New great. York. That was great. It was so fun.
1: I feel like I had heard... I don't know if I'd seen him before, but that name was the most familiar. It was the only one going in that I was like, "Eh, I kind of know that.
2: Let me, he's one of the, yeah, he's one of the ones who tours a Mm. lot. He does the, uh, the Allah Made Me Funny tour. Yes. He's one of their big headliners. And, uh, Asar Yusman is also on that Allah Made Me Funny tour. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I can say about it overall besides that. I just think it was great and important and I'm glad they're, doing it I hope it comes back even bigger and better I really liked it I thought it was interesting how they had you know
0: it's all Muslim comedians and yet their styles were totally variable some of them as we commented were very like uh, more political and pointed I don't think there was a single comedian who got up there and didn't mention Trump or mm-hmm. yeah. the political environment in which they were performing but not all of not all of their jokes were political some of them were just very funny I thought they as you commented already Liz it was interesting that there were moments where like we didn't get the humor because yeah. we we're like three white ladies sitting there and like they're making some kind of inside joke and people are laughing a lot but it's just over our heads um and I I, I thought it was interesting that there was a sort of different type I mean this isn't surprising but I just I'm saying it aloud is like there are different there were different kinds of comedy in the room, comedy about different topics, um, but all under this sort of umbrella of filling very much the, the target of a lot of hatred in the United States right now, unfortunately. And I, the, for the com- comedians who did specifically go at that political angle, I thought it was very, very interesting. And I, I feel like a lot of times you don't... You don't... For groups that you're not a member of you don't on you don't often honestly engage in conversation and so you don't get to hear about how threatened or upsetting or uh, targeted people feel because they don't feel comfortable admitting that kind of vulnerability to people outside of their group but within this event that we were at I feel like people were speaking really honestly and I did I did have it did feel like it was opening my eyes up in a way that um, other, other things I've experienced in this political environment have not
2: yeah I feel like sometimes uh, comedy and theater as well give you an accessibility or a window to these things in a way that straight up reading the news does not
0: yeah it actually reminded me a bit of um, the events that uh, the new Blackfest does when they pull together four or five playwrights and they all write a play about a particular topic on race relations in the United States. Often when I'm at those readings, I feel like I'm being let in on a way that a community feels that I wasn't previously privy to because no one's individually comfortable like being their full selves in front of white people. Like, you know, people of color in the United States often feel like they have to perform a certain uh, way in front of white people, and so when you're when you go to their community and experience their theater or their comedy, you get a real window that you don't otherwise see because it's not necessarily comfortable in front of a white audience. Yeah, bringing my big white gaze with me too. <laughs> to your event. Sorry about that. <laughs> um but i don't know i was it was really insightful i wish i could have gone to another night i feel like it would have been interesting to see it in a comedy club in a more typical environment this had a very like we're at a school auditorium feel
1: mm. yeah yeah and it's one of those things i think last year there were maybe one or two comics i would heard of this year again maybe one i'd know but mostly unknowns and i think uh, Sabine was from chicago and yeah seemed relatively new like you know she's probably only been doing it a couple of years but it's a interesting kind of i think it's good if you're interested in comedy genuinely interested in like seeing different things something like this you will go and you won't know anybody and and you like you said there's so many different styles that you might come out of this with a new person that you can who you wouldn't have come across in your regular sort of circles but it can sort of lead you into a different path in comedy because there are so many different little clicks all over the place that you can get stuck in one and this is a great sort of door into another another whole area Mm -hmm.
0: All right, the next thing we're going to talk about is Asperger's R Us. Uh, Elise and I saw this at Caroline's in Midtown. This is four men from Boston who all are on the autism spectrum. Their names are Jack Hankey, Ethan Finlan, New Michael and Jimmy, and Noah Burton. And they are a sketch comedy group that came to some... um, Attention recently because there was a there is a documentary about them that screened at South by and mm. was acquired by Netflix mm. and so that has not yet been released. And What's it, it called? It's called Asperger's R Us. Oh. It's the name of their their sketch troupe. Um, in my research on them, I did not see exactly the plan for the release of that documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there have been screenings of it, uh, a place or two. So if folks are interested in that, um, they can see it. Now they're on a national tour that started in Boston and came through New York, um, and is kind of working its way down the Eastern seaboard, then across to the Midwest, and eventually to Los Angeles. It's sort of a summer long tour. And it appears, based on what we saw, is that perhaps they're making a second documentary about the tour. Because there were, like, four cameras in the room at Caroline's. And lots of you're being, you're, by walking in this room,
1: you're you know, you're agreeing to be part of this. Yes. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if that's, like, a bonus to the the one that, or if they're going to re-edit, or, yeah, maybe it's a whole different thing. Who knows? It it was
0: interesting, because when we walked in, I saw those signs, and I was like, okay, yeah, sure, documentary. And then I was like, there are four cameras in the room this Mm. is not like my buddies and i are making Mm. i mean there are like four camera operators somebody has put a budget behind this um it is interesting (laughs) well maybe yeah i guess um actually the executive producers on the first documentary or the current i don't know how to distinguish these things are the duplass brothers oh yeah Ah. so i don't know somehow they came to somebody's attention (laughs) yeah Um, I'm just going to read what they say about themselves, which is uh, we do not poke fun at Asperger's, and we did not form to prove that autistic people can be funny. We formed for the same reason anybody does comedy, to make you laugh. So their comedy is um, it's like kind of silly, a lot of wordplay and uh, uh, um, absurdism. Um, They have a few things about their show that are kind of quirky. So, like one person recorded to or sings uh, to music, um, Homer's The Odyssey, which they play in between every sketch. People seem to think that was just like hilarious in the room. Um, and then they have these kind of goofy sketches um, and then at intermission they passed around paper and colored pencils and we made cards for the next audience and we also received a card from the prior <laughs> audience and then at the end of the show they did a Q&A um, where they just took questions from the audience and um, they got some really you know serious questions they answered very sincerely I was glad they did the Q&A because it completely sort of my view on the whole thing sort of changed um, because I just, like they were so charming during that part mm. and um, were so sincere in the way they answered some, like in some cases, very serious questions, but in other cases, goofy questions. And they were very funny. They individually seemed very charming and funny and at moments where they were clearly sort of more improv I thought they were pretty funny. So this is all to say that I didn't think the sketches were funny
1: yeah, there were one or two that I thought were decent. I I uh, I don't have the the list and the names in front of me, but the tall guy who seemed yes, like he was kind of leading Noah it. That's Noah. No, Britain. He, he was I thought very funny. Yeah. And with the stuff that he seemed to lead, did well. Yes. And the very first sketch he played a stand up who was blind and like he was so it was this sort of meta joke about somebody going to a comedy show about disability. Yeah. And I thought that was good. And then there was one other one that he did later on that I really enjoyed. Maybe it was the job interview sketch I thought was pretty good.
0: Yeah, they had one where they were like at a equivalent of a rock concert, but it was a, a concert from the 18th century um, by Mozart. Hmm. And so they were sort of like these stoners at a Mozart concert talking about how great it was. And then mm. I guess they have a lot of t-shirts they sell, including one from the Mozart concert.
2: <laughs> um, so that's a sketch that they've done before and is popular,
0: I guess, if they, popular enough if they, they made t-shirts, right, <laughs> they have merch for it. <laughs> yeah. So that
2: must be a, a long running thing. Huh.
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, I think there was part of it that uh, they, some of it was the venue. I mean, Caroline's is meant to be a stand-up venue and it really does not work for sketch. Like there were two, too long breaks between them, so it, there was no pace to it, and yeah. you didn't really feel like it was building towards anything. And they were—they're young; they've got to be in their mid twenties, I would well, guess. Well, I've done
0: so much research on them now; I can <laughs> tell you all about them. So mm-hmm. they met at a uh, camp mm-hmm. where Noah was the counselor, and the other three were uh, like student members Uh-oh. of the camp. So um, Noah's like in his early thirties, and the other ones are in their early twenties. They're some of them are still college students. Because it had a bit oh. of a college vibe
1: to it, mm-hmm. and I see that in sketch groups in New York a lot who are like they were the big shots on campus, and everyone thought they were great, and then they come and they do sketch in New York for a couple years, and you're like, all right, well, you're gonna have you just have a lot of work to do because you can you can feel the college on them a little bit, yeah, and they mm-hmm. had that a bit, um, but yeah, that Q and A at the end made me think that there's a potential for them to do, like if they alternated between talking on stage to all of us and then you do a sketch and then you talk a little bit. And it, even if it was a little bit scripted, but you were just yourselves talking about your experiences and then flipping back and forth, like I could see that working, but just pure sketch was not, it didn't, it was, it got a little tedious. Yeah. And they had Joe Pera open for them, who did stand up for them. And I think Joe Pera is brilliant. And uh, he was on late night, With Seth Meyers, maybe about six months ago, and it's an amazing set. Like it's all—it's really worth watching. And he, I—I don't know if he has Aspergers. He certainly his presentation on stage would imply that he does. And I think he really, he. But it's a little hyped up. Like he—he's kind of that's sort of his persona. And in a comedy club, normally. it's so jarring to see his like, he's very, very, he's kind of quiet and deliberately awkward. And it is so funny in comparison to a bunch of standups who have all this swagger. But outside of that, when he just like walked up on stage by himself and did 25 minutes and then left, you're like, oh, it it wasn't that there were no good jokes in it, but it just didn't have the same felt very a little dead it didn't have the same effect but then when he started riffing with the audience because there's this one woman in the audience who thought she was the show and he was you could see his his wit come out i mean he was you could tell that he was so much sharper than he than his persona sometimes implies but i
2: would i don't know if you've ever seen joe Perra before
0: i don't think i have that was my first time but. so how
2: was the audience reaction to something that it like, sound like you guys were kind of lukewarm on it but how was the rest of the crowd
0: Um, I think the rest of the crowd at times shared our lukewarmness, but Mm. then there were also, um, people who were way more into it than we were. Mm. Mm. And then some,
1: one of the women at the very front in the Q and a talked about having a son who had just been diagnosed and trying to get him to like interact with people. And I realized like that made me realize the reason people were there were probably affecting the way that they were viewing the show like they're I mean that's true in every comedy show but in such a specific like such a concentrated way so many people were there for one of a few different reasons that would they would bring to it that I probably didn't like
2: I was maybe have different expectations yeah I I asked about it. so I've I mentioned and I did an interview with off and on on Bernardo Kubri's podcast Recently, so my sister has autism, and so I couldn't make it to this show, and I wish that I had, because, listening to you guys describe it, my sister has a very different sense of humor, unlike anyone I've ever met. Um, she's hilarious, and it's this very absurd sense of humor, uh, you know, cracking a lot of jokes. She likes the wordplay stuff, but, but it's just her, it, it's just a next level sort of humor, unlike anyone I, I know. And also, when she finds something funny, she doesn't have the biggest reaction. Noise wise, mm-hmm. you're not going to hear her like totally belly laughing stuff. But you know, she'll she'll be there and she'll be act, be reacting and be interested. So I wonder if that's part of it, too. I don't want to generalize because there's obviously a huge spectrum um, of autism and Asperger's, and my sister's more on the uh, more low functioning side. But I just wonder if that react the reaction is different because of that maybe it very well could be yeah mm. yeah it was also not a
1: it was a decent sized crowd mm-hmm. but it wasn't it was by caroline standards which carolines can hit, fit like 400 people or something and there were 50 75 something like that maybe uh, maybe a little more yeah i do that. think the venue is not ideal and it but any kind of, so it doesn't comedy venues should have a certain amount of like energy to them so that this is all real nerdy stuff but like so that the way the laughs pass through the audience like they can build and the way that it was set up it it just didn't work like that so I think it it hampered what could have been maybe a little bit better I think it hampered what could have been a better energy
0: okay uh next comedy in the park the great summer annual stand-up series
1: yes laughter in the park is, oh, it's uh, called
0: Laughter in the Park? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I called it the wrong thing.
1: That's okay. Um, it. Uh, oh, I just noticed that their, that their tagline for this year is Make America Laugh Again. <laughs> um, they, Yeah. So, it's, anyways, it's a free summer stand-up show. I think it's all stand-up. Maybe a little storytelling. Uh, at different parks around New York City. So, the next show is next Sunday at in Central Park at Mineral Springs. And it's it's at two o'clock in the afternoon, kind of basically rain or shine. I'm sure they sometimes get rained out, but, uh, they get medium level comics, you know, like, You'll get people, your headliners will be somebody you maybe you've seen on a late night show or has maybe done like a half hour special. But nobody's super, super famous. And then all the way down to, to people that are starting out. And I am, have become a huge fan of it. I'm The first time I went three or four years ago was at Tompkins Square Park and just the setup was not good and there was too much else going on. But over the years, they've really perfected how to do how to find a good spot how to draw an audience they have a uh, like an easel set up that they put everybody's name on so as you're watching the performer you can see their name if you want to keep track of things which is good because the performers are not getting paid so it's like a little bit of free advertising for them and it's fun that you can walk by you can sort of come by and stand there for 5 minutes and then keep walking or you can come and sit with a blanket and stay for the whole show and it's very sort of anything goes vibe but i am Constantly impressed, consistently impressed with how with the quality of the show and the quality of the audiences. Given that it seems like it should be kind of a crapshoot, but I think they do a great job.
2: Yeah, uh, we went. I went with my boyfriend, and we got there early. We went and got ice cream. We set a blanket (laughs) up. It was great. It was like a really fun afternoon thing for us to go do. Um, Yeah, and it's free. Uh, It was the day that we went. I don't know if they're all hosted by the same person, but it was Mooney McCarthy think it rotates okay um who lives in astoria and he was kind of like your dad joke comic which i loved (laughs) i love stupid dad jokes um i think also the nature of having it in the park sort of keeps it again a pg-13 level you know the jokes are quick because people aren't necessarily staying for the whole thing and you get a lot of people just wandering through again we were in washington square park and you know, people were walking through the park and they'd stop for a little bit and then go, and you, know, you got a lot of tourists, you got families coming through. It's it's a really wide variety of people. So I feel like of the three comics that we saw, mm. there are two of them were very successful with that. And one of them, uh, Carmen Lynch I mean, said at the outset that she was having a really hard time keeping her set PG-13. Uh, she opened, like she said, fuck, I think maybe her second word into the set and started with a big joke about uh, the morning after pill. And then was like, maybe that wasn't a great idea. I think I would find her funny. Not in that context. Like Mm. I could tell that she was censoring herself for this audience, which she needed to, I suppose. But I'd love to see her in a comedy club, just letting loose, being a little more relaxed with her material. Um, But we also saw Rodney Laney, uh, who opened, and then the headliner was uh, Nimesh Patel, who was hilarious. I love. He's he's probably the bigger name of the mm. three, right? Yeah, well, I
0: it's mean, it's funny because I I recognize Carmen's name. Yeah, yeah, Carmen's, Carmen's yeah, from she's like Late Night Yeah, and a bunch of stuff like and that. She's a real regular at places like the Cellar, right? Yeah, yeah. But she, yeah, I got there about halfway
1: through her set, and she was just it was just not working. And so yeah. her stuff is she writes a lot of one liners, and so her there's built into her performance are these kind of lulls where mm-hmm. she goes like mm, and then she kind of goes up and down and it's very low-key but when you're outside it can sort of it just feels very dead yeah in, in those gaps it felt like she was fumbling yeah for the next bit and it wasn't ideal but Nimesh I've seen Nimesh I must have seen him last year at Laughter in the Park and he's perfect for that I mean he's he funny always great but I can't imagine a more perfect comic because he's very likable and energetic and young and fun. And like his stuff is smart, but really, really accessible. Like you just as soon as you see him and you hear him, you get what he's talking about. And he's
2: yeah, I was a little afraid that a show like this wasn't going to have any any teeth to it. Mm. And I think he brought it in like a nicely political bent without making it divisive, which I'm sure it could have been. You know, with a big, whole chunk about Bernie Sanders, our old president. Yes. so. (laughs) All right, cool.
0: Well, we have one more show to talk about, uh, Bitch Seat.
2: Yeah. Am I I doing Bitch Seat? Yep. Yeah, okay, great. So, Bitch Seat is a show hosted by Alyssa Mandel that I'm not sure which came first, the podcast or the live show. Uh, She's been doing a podcast for a little while. It's weekly. Uh, They also do... They've done live shows both in New York and L.A., and now they're doing a monthly show at QED that they record for their podcast in addition to the podcast episodes that they record in a studio. So basically, she's really busy. And they bring on people, and they bring artifacts, which are these sort of totems from their childhood. Diary entries, photos, scripts that they've written, letters they wrote, all sorts of different things. And Lissa and her co-host Phil Casal talk with them about their childhood and what this piece represents to them and where it what it influenced on the rest of their lives pretty much, how everything all ties in. And I've been a fan of theirs for a while. I think the podcast is so much fun. They they get great people, great comedians in and I think it the premise could get very old very fast. It could become a big nostalgia fest with a bunch of guests who are in their late twenties to late thirties. So everyone's kind of childhood is the same era as well. So it it's a premise that could run dry really quickly. But I think Lissette does a really nice job bringing in really thoughtful questions and sort of probing. To make it a little more thoughtful than just, oh my God, I can't believe you had that when you were twelve. You know, I, I think there's there's a richness to it and, and really beautiful, revealing things. You know, for all these uh, comedic bits that they do, they've also brought in uh, I can't remember her last name, Puya, uh, who talked about being trans and her diary as she was growing up uh, as a boy, learning about herself and who she wanted to be in the future and I found that episode very touching uh in a very different way than what I'm used to from this show
0: I hadn't encountered it before um I mean I'd heard about it on you know social media and whatever but I hadn't listened to the podcast or and this is my first time attending a live show and it was really it was really enjoyable I mean QED is a great venue and she had three wonderful guests and they told funny stories and you know, when you're talking to people who are comedy performers, improv performers, writers, they know how to tell a good story. And she's a good interviewer. So I thought it meshed really well. There was a there was a musical act. It had a little bit of a, you know, like variety show feel to it. And then she interviewed the
2: performer. Do you have the names of the three people who were uh, on the show that we attended? I can pull it up. Hold on. Because you can actually listen to the episode that was recorded at the show that Lindsay and I went to.
1: You know, it's funny. I... I knew I'd heard the name of the show, and I couldn't until you described it just now. And as you were talking, I was like, oh, I've been to this show. (laughs) I went to it at Union Hall. I was just looking it up. Uh, Last year, about this time last year, they did a
2: um, – does each week have – or does each um,
1: show have a theme, or is it just whatever you want to bring?
2: I, I think they bring in sort of a theme. Like with ours, they were talking about carnivals. Mhm. I think she does do a theme, but
0: you know, as with these things they're kind of loose. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
2: even, I don't think any of the guests brought anything in really. Okay. The people we saw was uh Ayana Dookie, Joe Zimmerman, Micah Sherman, and Lauren Mall. Oh, there were four, that's right. Yeah, including the the musical, musical guest person, which was uh, Lauren Mall, did the music.
0: Yeah, they were all great
1: funny people from what I know I don't I, I it is a fun idea I remember seeing um, somebody brought in I think they all brought in drawings the time I saw and so you could sort of go through their their mind like their thought process as a child which is a fun way of getting into a comedian's head because they probably started thinking a little differently than everyone else even when they were six or something and then <laughs> so you can sort of follow that to where they are now
0: yeah So in addition to the shows we all went and saw, I wanted to just check in with the broader comedy scene because we haven't done one of these comedy episodes in a while. And there are um, some new podcasts and a couple of new specials that I think are definitely worth mentioning. So the first is Two Dope Queens, which is a regular live event event in new york hosted by phoebe robinson and jessica williams and then they edit those live events into podcasts and release them um, in conjunction with wnyc now probably everyone has heard of this by now they've totally blown up but in case there were a few people out there who were sequestered in theater land and never really paid much attention to Mm -hmm. the comedy world and this is your singular dose every I was gonna say quarterly, but not quite quarterly, of what's happening in the comedy world. I wanted to make sure you are aware of this because the podcast is fantastic. Um, you may be familiar with these individuals. I mean, Jessica Williams, formerly of The Daily Show, mm. um, now getting her own show on Comedy Central, is so funny. And Phoebe Robinson is, I mean, she probably performed at like the first stand up event I ever went to in New York City. She's a very regular. Uh, standup performer in the city and I think she is fantastic and so related I wanted to mention her other podcast that she just barely, barely launched last week uh called so many white guys with
2: that's three o's. three o's
0: and that is important because if you just search so many white guys in iTunes you will not find it because I spent a lot of time searching for it quite <laughs> confused um where it's an interview podcast which you may be thinking do we really need another interview podcast but fuck yeah we do because (laughs) all people interview is goddamn white men and it's crazy and so she is doing an interview podcast where she's talking to anybody but white men and I think that is so fantastic she's so charming I think it is a great addition to the podcast landscape both of these two shows I'm super super excited
2: about them yeah I just got into both of them pretty recently the two dope queens is obviously great and it kills me i i found out about them because i had to walk past where they were recording and there was this huge line and i couldn't figure out what was going on and so i peeked around and then checked them out and gosh it's so funny and then so many white guys which is produced by um alana glazer yeah mm. um, she's the executive producer, the producer which i think will only bring great people and they used to record at Union Hall,
0: the Two Up Queens show. They moved to the Bell House for a larger venue, but those shows sell out just instantly. You have to get really lucky to get tickets to them.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, if, if anybody who's followed New York comedy or knows Phoebe from back in the day, she used to perform under the name Blaria, which I might still be her website, uh, Blaria, a.k.a. Black Daria. Yep. And so she, And she hosted that show for a long time excuse me, for a long time. And then Jessica came on board. And then I think right before they started the podcast, I imagine somebody at Viacom said, you can't use Blaria, that's our property. So they changed it to Two Dope Queens. So there's this sort of, there's a much, I think Two Dope Queens really appeared about six months ago, but there's years and years of history Mm -hmm. before that, that of their chemistry and them sort of developing this very specific worldview and fitting it really well into the New York scene that needed something like that to exist. Desperately. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, and I just want to mention one other podcast uh, hosted by two individuals frequently mentioned when we visit the comedy world, which is W. Kamal Bell and Hari Kondabolu. They have a podcast all about politics that I think um, is... When they talk about it, It's they suggest it's only for the duration of the election. But I just think they're they are so insightful and simultaneously hilarious. It's called politically reactive and they have about four or five episodes out. And I mean, I think it is must listen to political analysis. I've already uh, in conversation referenced some of their episodes where they break down things that you know and understand. They have an episode where they explain what a dog whistle is. And I know what that means, but the way that, the explanation for that term that they gave made it so that I can explain that concept to other people much more easily. Mm. I, and They had mm. on this professor, I think, from Stanford or Berkeley. And I just think their episode is so... I mean, their their podcast is so great I think it's fantastic and just totally different than all the other political podcasts out there which can be a little mind-numbingly dull and also extremely depressing given our current political climate and the thing I feel about this podcast is it's never depressing Mm. like they can be a little forlorn about the prospects of our country but always they always end on this kind of like hopeful like we're gonna power through and fight for good so i really love that and harry has a new album coming out Mm -hmm. um soon and i know he's going on a national tour he's also performing in brooklyn he's even going to
2: salt lake city utah (laughs) so he's really hitting all the
0: spots
2: (laughs) i i admit i'm a little scared of political podcasts but i trust you if this is accessible maybe i'll i'll check it out it's really good
0: okay anything to add on podcasts anything else we should be checking out Ooh, that's a great question
1: um if you have having just come off a road trip if you are looking for just a ton of podcast, comedy podcasts to listen to there's an uh the earwolf podcast network which does uh comedy bang bang and how did this get made in scarborough country and a bunch of other big ones uh they have this new app called the howl app which is like a they call it the Netflix of podcast. It's not really that, but they have all the old WTFs and all the whole backlog of earwolf. And you can get a, f- a month free. If you put in like a promo code from any podcast you listen to. And it is really like, I've been using it a lot just to like, Oh yeah. I, some, some podcasts I listened to a long time ago and I forgot about some just that I've never, uh, that I always meant to catch up on. And it is just, there's so much content on there. So if you're, if you have like a long flight or something, I recommend the howl app. Um, And if you've never listened to Never Not Funny, which is one of my favorite, it's, there are too many white guys talking about comedy podcasts, and if you only need one, Never Not Funny is the one you should listen to. (laughs) Like, it's, they just, they have this great chemistry, they've been doing it for like eight years, they have, it's one of those things that there's a million inside jokes that you'll be left out on in the first episode, and three in, you'll just feel like you've been listening forever. And they have all of their back episodes, which you used to have to pay for, Mm. are all on the Howl app, so... If you're looking to kill time with some comedy podcasts i i do recommend
0: it cool nice. all right the last thing i want to talk about is ali wong's special baby cobra did you get a chance to yes, listen i did watch i mean it's on netflix so i think we've talked about ali wong on the podcast before um she kind of like i sort of feel like she's um somebody like phoebe who i've just seen multiple times do uh you know the 10 minute sets at mm. various comedy shows around the city lots at night train mm, uh, also yeah. at joe's pub and so i will say that i've actually never really connected with her comedy because um she comes from a kind of what i would call like a a, a, a tradition of uh being a woman that i don't relate to <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of like Like when she talks about dating, um, it's just like a version of womanhood I I don't, I have no connection with. Mm. Um, And, but so. When Liz told me about the comedy special, I was I was really skeptical. I was like, I just I don't know. I've 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 visited this before, and I'm not sure it works for me. Although I did listen to her interview with Mark Maron, and I found like her in conversation quite engaging, and I was very interested in what she had to say. But I decided, on Liz's recommendation, to give it a whirl, and I. Really, really liked it. The stuff that I had seen previously was like a little sort of 15-minute section in the middle, and once again revisiting it, I didn't care for it. But I found that she had really broadened the scope of what she was talking about, um, and that her comedy seemed to have sort of—I mean, I want to say maybe—graduated to an area where I found a lot of humor in what she was talking about, um, and. And so I was like, oh, comedians grow and I can grow with them and I can revisit them even if I I shouldn't, even though I've seen her multiple times and never really enjoyed her set, like I really enjoyed the
2: special. I don't know. What did you guys think? Yeah, I, the big part for me is that Baby Cobra, she did eight months pregnant, which just adds a whole other level. And I don't know why, I I thought about this when I saw Sky Pony Mm -hmm. a while ago where having a pregnant woman performing on stage is a radical act, but it kind of is. And especially a, a woman up there doing comedy while eight months pregnant, in heels, no less, um, feels very fresh and radical and a little dangerous in a good way. And I I like her comedy. I feel like her, her sense of womanhood, maybe, to use your words, is more... Something I'm accustomed to or grew up around, and can see the jokes and within a lot of that. But I still f- I found her special, really really compelling, and I do think it was kind of next level from the ten minute bits that I've seen her do around town. What did you think? Still didn't, didn't work. Care for it? <laughs> no.
1: Oh well. Um, <laughs> I did think as as because I, I had it on my f- on Netflix on my phone, but I was like listening to it more than I was watching it. So I wasn't getting like I would. You know, I would see it in bits, but I, I wonder if some of it was that I wasn't, uh, that maybe there was a visual element to it of her being pregnant that I didn't appreciate as much because I wasn't looking at her. And she only, she does maybe, she kind of mentions it at the beginning and then she does a bit about it at the end. But it's not the through line of the, of the hour because obviously she's been developing it longer than she's been pregnant. Right. Um, but I find, I just, I, I don't, I didn't hear very much in it that I hadn't heard elsewhere and I didn't think she brought enough. I I don't find her a compelling enough performer to see her do jokes I've seen elsewhere. So I that's where I just got stuck. I mean, there's nothing wrong with her. She's not bad at what she does. She just I just she's the kind of person that I if I see her on a lineup, I'm not I'm not gonna not gonna go or I'm not gonna avoid it, but I'm not gonna go out of my way to see. She's just I find her just almost exactly in the middle of what I expect of a comedian. She just sort of hits all those buttons and then nothing else. And so I find it a little. I just found it. Yeah. I just kind of
0: didn't do it for me. But you got to try new things. You got to see what you like. Such a diversity of opinions on today's (laughs) episode. Yeah. Good job. Okay. Let's briefly visit what we're seeing next. Does anybody have any things coming up, comedy or
2: theater wise? Oh, oh, I wanted to talk about um, some of the stuff that we saw at Independence Day. Can I do that? Oh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, So one of the things that Lindsay and I dropped by on July 4th and I stuck around for a while is a independence day at the pit, which was a festival of indie improv teams. So like not house teams anywhere. And we saw together, we saw writer's block, which was sort of a choose your own adventure where the audience could stop the scene sort of. Um, but overall, it, you know, I saw a lot that day and I'm very impressed with the amount of more structured, themed improv, I guess. We got um, a lumberjack themed show called All Hail the Lumberjack Brigade, which had more people on stage than I've ever seen in an improv show in my entire life. (laughs) Um, They do the Austin Family Improv Players, which is improvised Jane Austen. They do As You Will, which is Shakespearean improv. And then the one that we missed that I was dying to see, which is called Drinks with George and Martha, where a couple plays uh, the couple from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and they bring another improviser couple, comedian couple, on stage to play opposite them. And before the show, they each, uh, the, the George and Martha, learn one thing that each comedian bothers them about their significant other and that's the show <laughs> and I think it's so clever and I'm so bummed that I missed it actually I would have loved to see any of these I would have loved to see the Austin family improv players too uh, but there's a lot of really fun structural improv where people are really experimenting with the form and what you can do with it and it was really cool to see those. oh and I saw Improvention which is um, an improvised intervention session where they choose what the person's addicted to before they come on stage Oh wow! and she was addicted to the roller disco and they had to talk her out of it wow um yeah so i just i don't know i like these this new format that things are going towards it's fun you know what we haven't mentioned liz is our meetup oh my gosh we didn't uh so yeah so well this will come out on wednesday and it's Our meetup is on Saturday. And it's on Saturday. Uh, We are going to go hang out with the Classical Theater of Harlem and see Macbeth. And And I'm going to this. You're going to come? This is your chance to meet Elise. Awesome.
1: I, I said to Liz the other night, like, is this all of bad Because I don't really want to it say it's time July July for one, all of okay, it. Okay,
2: so I've, I've been going to Classical Theater of Harlem. This will be my fourth summer checking in with them, and I have a great time. Not least of which, because all their Shakespeare cuts are 90 minutes. God, perfect. 90 it's minutes. A, all no that I want Exactly, if that doesn't win you over. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's at Mar- Marcus Garvey Park, the Richard Rogers Amphitheater, it's uptown. Uh, normally, this is when I would tell you to go get tacos on um, 103rd, because there are some great taco places over there, but... We've been invited to a social beforehand, uh, starting at 5 p.m. It's in the park, right, an area right next to the amphitheater. You can come set your stuff down. We'll have a little section for us. And then bring some food or drink and hang out with Maximu and Classical Theater of Harlem and anyone else that's coming by. I think it'll be really fun. I'm going to bake cookies. <laughs> so... Yeah, so please join us for that. It should be fun. It's free. It's free. It's free, and it's unticketed. All you have to do is show up, and it's huge. So there's there's no fear of not getting a seat. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm this gonna isn't go there. A,
0: like wait in line for eight hours to maybe see the show. This is show up, have some food and beverages with us, hang out, chit chat meet your favorite Max Moores and then see a 90 minute great production of Macbeth. Yeah. I've already no losing here.
2: I've already seen some of the production photos. Um, Ty Jones is playing the lead and the photos look awesome. Cool. So I'm pretty excited. Um, And then the
0: other thing we're doing is gearing up for fringe New York. So if you have shows you are looking forward to at fringe, we would love to hear from you on Twitter and let us know about them, and we'll check them out and see as much as we can. Yeah. Oh, you want to talk about what you're seeing coming up? Sorry. I can Do you have things you're seeing coming up? Sure.
1: Um, well, I don't – I might go. There's another Laughter in the Park show, Central Park, next Sunday. Oh, um, well, that might be fun. Maybe I'll go to that. That's the one in Central Park, right? Yeah, Mineral Springs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There is a, have we talked about Punderdome on this show? I feel like it's come up. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know Punderdome. (laughs) uh, It's normally at Littlefield, and it's like chaos. It's fun, but it sells out really quickly. They do one at Highline Ballroom. It seems like it's an annual thing now, so there's a little more space. You're probably paying a little more money, but uh, it's a little, uh, you don't have to get there an hour and a half ahead of time. So I always recommend Punderdome if you see it. And then um, there's a billion comedy festivals happening in the next month. So there's the, uh, let's see, the next one coming up is the Brooklyn Comedy Festival, which I don't think has announced any performers yet, but that is August August 22nd to 28th. They always have a lot of good stuff all over Brooklyn. There's the Cinderblock Comedy Festival, which was slightly controversial in the comedy world. It, that's September 15th to September 18th in Williamsburg, and they caused a lot of controversy because... They started accepting submissions at the beginning of the year and women and people of color and uh, LGBT comedians had to pay 77 percent, whatever, 77 cents on the dollar for what white male comedians had to pay to submit to the festival. So it caused a whole lot of bitching and moaning on the Internet. Um, So there's going to be great people there. Uh, I know. (laughs) Okay, And uh, I'm uh, very excited about that. And the free stand-up festival, which is, I think, in its second or third year now, is in September 9th to 12th. Nope, 9th to 15th. September 9th to 15th. So if you just want to go see some free stand-up, that's the whole... They, they sort of spread out all over the city and just a bunch of free shows. And time. Eugene Merman Fest. Oh, I forgot about that. I forget the dates on that. Also mm-hmm. in September. Also in September, I'm sure, yes. That's, I think,
2: well-covered. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, I feel like, I I see a decent amount of comedy, I feel like, not as much as you, I'm sure. But I feel like stand-up is, like, the place that I don't see much. I feel like I see a bunch of stand-up, or a bunch of improv and sketch and variety shows and less so the improv. So I should probably get around and do more of that. Because I did like all the the stand-up we saw this week. Um, I'm seeing Small Mouth Sounds tomorrow, which I can't wait. And I'm going to see Men on Boats next week.
0: Cool. All right. Well, that's everything. Thanks guys. Thank all right. you. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Maxmoo theater and performance podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us all on Twitter. Maxmoo is at Maxmoo. Elise is at Elise CZ. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards, and I'm at Lindsay Barron's. We'll see you in two weeks when we preview the New York City Fringe Festival. Folio, theatrical media.